Ahoy, mateys! Welcome to the GameBoy.org video game podcast, your port of call for gaming news and views that maybe aren't on your radar, but most definitely should be. I'm your host, Captain Spike 2099, and with me, as always, is first mate Slagkick First Class. I prefer Slagnito. <laughs> Today is June 9th, 2020, and this is episode 170. Do you like to move it, move it? A conversation looking back at motion controls. But honestly, oh, it's it our aim to start. I'm just having I'm just having Madagascar flashbacks. <laughs> Madagascar. Yeah, some people have Vietnam flashbacks. I have Madagascar flashbacks. I see. I see. You know, you know the the soundtrack. Isn't that what it was from? Madagascar. Oh yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. I am sorry that I inflicted that upon you. Well, welcome once again, each and every one of our lovely and beautiful listener to another episode of the GameBooey.org video game podcast. GameBooey.org video game podcast. Thank you, Slaggy. But before we begin, um, obviously we need to talk about something. Uh, it would be impossible to understate the turmoil that our varied communities are currently in. And we'd like to say something in service of the Black Lives Matter movement and specifically in support of George Floyd. Uh, you know, we considered observing a live silence of eight minutes and 46 seconds, as we've seen several companies do to raise awareness um, fairly effectively if the amount of discussion that we've seen um, raised on the socials is any indication. However, for a podcast, I, I don't think that's really meaningful. I think it would be easily skipped, easily just faked or inserted on our, our side. So um, instead, we'd really like to encourage you all to be active in your community, um, uplift Black voices, both on the socials and within your you know, your physical space uh, to the degree that you can right now if you're you know not on lockdown or what have you. Um, and especially, especially support Black voices and Black creators, especially monetarily. Um, if you'd like to further educate yourself, I would strongly recommend the Black Lives Matter website, as well as SURGE, which is an acronym for Showing Up for Racial Justice. Um, and they're really good for local community actions. They have uh, local organizations uh, within uh, all, all over the country. Um, you know, while we are gamers and we love games and we love, you know, this whole world so much, uh, the real world has to come first and we really have to stand up and speak up for the change that we believe in and, and want to see. Um, so with all of that having been said, well, I suppose it hasn't all been said, you know, FTP, ACAB, etc. Um, we are happy to be back at you and bringing a few fresh ideas to our video gaming voyage. That having been said, today we are going to get the momentum going again by looking back at a topic that was surprisingly controversial some 15 years ago and remains fairly divisive today. Motion controls. From your earliest experiences with the Wii for many of us, clumsily throwing a bowling ball with the flick of a wrist, to modern implementations in VR that allow for immersive interactions with a lifelike environment simulated around you, complete with individual finger tracking, motion controls have allowed for scores of new ways to experience video games even within our own homes. 
but it's also not always roses. So I hope you'll join us for a chat about our experiences with motion controls, good and bad, as well as our thoughts on what we hope to see in the future. Uh, obviously, we have a lot to dig in here, Slaggy, uh, so we can get started and relax and talk about some games and hopefully have a nice distraction for a moment. Uh, Slaggy First Class, what is the way that we rhyme? Hot up because the way that we rhyme. Very nice. So we have some fairly cool big stories here, and I think probably the hottest of topics is uh, the fact that E3 isn't happening. Sleggy, would you like to take us on a, on a tour of this one? Yeah, I mean, obviously with Miss Rona out there, you know, um, I... You know, it's, it's easy to uh, make that joke, but obviously uh, we take this very seriously. Um, Captain yeah. Spike and I have both been sheltering in place here in California and, you know, doing our part to flatten the curve. And, you know, if anyone listening has been affected by the coronavirus uh, pandemic, you know, our hearts definitely go out to you and all that. So, uh, yeah, I, and I, I should note before recording this, I had primed you up to reference it as Miss Rona. So if that was a poor judgment call, it was on me. Um, that having been said, I think the fact that Miss Rona is here to stay is a fact of life. So I, I yeah, don't like so, it. I mean, um, but I think we do have to get comfortable talking about it. And in the gaming Unlike racism, world, which we don't have to get comfortable with because we should get rid of it. Exactly. So, you know, in the gaming world, um, what this has, I mean, it's had a lot, a, a lot of impacts, uh, but, you know, in terms of mass gatherings, it means that E3 2020 has been canceled. Uh, you know, that was determined quite a while ago. But in lieu of E3, there are going to be a variety of digital events. Um, and it's kind of side note, it's going to be interesting to kind of see in the future, even, you know, years down the line, when hopefully the um, COVID crisis is under control, hopefully, um, if... E3 is ever going to really return. I mean, th th this could be a whole discussion itself, really. Um, you know, because we've talked about over the past, you know, nearly 10 years that we've been doing Game Boy about how E3 has changed. And, you know, Nintendo kind of was really the first to lead the pack there with their... Uh, yeah, they, they rode away from E3 really starting years back. And then, you know, we had Sony has really kind of been doing their state of play uh, events. Is that what it is? State of play... That is correct. And they've gotten, they've gotten better over the last year or so. Then EA Play. So, you know, side note, it'll just be kind of interesting to see. I'm saying it right now. You know, I'm not making any predictions, just but I, you know, we're we're hearing a lot of a lot of industries, a lot of, you know, about a lot of things that are going to maybe not go back to the way they were. Big gaming shows might be a, you know. A casualty of you know this kind of new world that we are in but yeah for the time being, we've got quite a few well and you know it's going on it's worth noting you know it's kind of funny that nintendo sort of wrote the playbook on how to run these types of events over the last few years so now we're seeing so many companies um, start going in the direction of these kinds of digital showcases. And, you know, Sony's picked up on it. Microsoft has picked up on it. Um, and now we're seeing like this whole cavalcade of of jumpers on the bandwagon. So it really has 
was kind of like the perfect storm for this changeover to happen so much faster than it would have otherwise, I think. Uh, but I do kind of agree with you that moving forward, I don't think in-person um, game events necessarily need to occur. And I kind of feel like for the better of everyone, like it's better for the environment to do these things digitally. It's better for, you know, obviously for people's individual health and well-being. You know, it's more cost effective, certainly, to the degree that I really give a shit about saving anybody money right now. Um, I don't know. It's to me when we say like, oh, are, is it ever going to go back to the old way? Some things may never go back to the old way. This is one where I think the new way is an upgrade. And I uh, so I agree with you, but I didn't really get like a positive or negative uh, impression from my perspective so i would just wanted to share what my opinion was right right and it's just it's funny that nintendo who gets complaints about their online implementation for their consoles uh really nailed it with online content delivery in terms of their messaging and stuff but the one context in which you can say nintendo nailed it with the online delivery and i mean i have to say side note um Having experienced the Nintendo online chat app with you and with others, um, yeah, yeah, like playing yeah, Animal Crossing, kind of, playing kind of, Smash, kind of it's, it's I mean, it's oh, a minor, it's a minor thing, but it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it really, it truly is. Honestly, that being said, um, I'm just going to run down the list of events. We have the IGN Summer of Gaming from June 10th to 12th. It yeah, is that great. actually means that the first episode of that is going to be starting tomorrow for us or today, if you're listening to this episode, the day it's going up. Yeah. So um, on June 12th, there is a 13th Sentinels Aegis Rim trailer. Uh, I, I'm clearly uh, I've clearly been out of the gaming news loop for a very long time because I'm like, I have no idea what that is, but there's a Guilty Gear Strive. It's so funny that you say you don't know what that is because we've been talking about 13 Sentinels on this show for like five years. It's just that the game's finally supposedly almost out. Uh, And and I don't mean that even in a shady way. It's just that that's how long the game's been in gestation. Okay, yeah, um, that's right. I actually, I had to Google it and it's the, the VanillaWare title. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, but I am excited for this summer gaming thing. Basically, every day they're going to do a little stream that has some announcements, some new games, you know, some characters, DLC type stuff. It's going to be like a little cute mini E3 show each day. (laughs) A side note, which I guess that's my that's my thing now. Side notes. Um, It's been in development so long that there was originally a Vita release planned for 13 Sentinels. Oh, poor little buddy that could. Yeah. Okay. Um. So actually, yeah, I am I am excited for that, as well as the new character reveal for Guilty Gear Strive. Yeah. And then there's something called an IGN Expo show on June 15th. So I'm not really sure what the differentiation is between that, but yeah, I guess we'll see. Sony is doing a PlayStation 5 event on the 11th, and that's going to be at 1 p.m. Pacific time, 4 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, it's going to be focusing on games. Now, you, if you've been following this, you might have originally remembered that it was going to be uh, last week on June 4th. But, uh, you know, in the in light of, you know, the things going on with the um, protests against police violence and, you know, as we mentioned, um, they felt it wasn't appropriate for uh, they actually I'll just go ahead and read their statement. They said 
uh, posted, we had decided to postpone the PlayStation 5 event scheduled for June 4th. While we understand gamers worldwide are excited to see PS5 games, we do not feel that right now is a time for celebration. And for now, we want to stand back and allow more important voices to be heard. And then uh, on their Twitter, they further said, we stand in solidarity today and every day with the Black community. Hashtag Black Lives Matter. So. I am not even joking when I saw that statement, and I know like I'm part of the problem in some regards to capitalism and everything and how advertisement works in this country, but like the moment I saw that tweet, I legit looked at Sulker and said, well, I'm going to pre-order a PS5 now. Yeah, I mean, I, you I know, have... A- the thing is, they, they pushed the this back because originally the event was going to overlap with the um, memorial service for George Floyd. Mm -hmm. And they just felt that it was inappropriate to overlap that. And I think that that is really fantastic. And, you know, I think it's uh, really a statement to the fact that so many of these country companies are trying to, I want to believe at least be better, uh, even if it's only for the sake of our money. At this moment, I will take that. If it if it gets fewer lives ruined, I'll, I'll take it in a heartbeat. Yeah, so. part of, part of me is like you know, um, and I mean, this is just a whole separate conversation. Like you know, this is like why weren't they saying this years ago? You know, Black Lives Matter has been you know fighting. I, I mean, I guess like you know, like. Like, I, never, you know, like, I get right. mad about this a lot right now, honestly. You know, I, uh, and obviously, if you're a listener of this show, you'll know I've politically left of uh, many people in my life. And I'm okay with that. You know, I, I don't mind it at all. Um, something that I've seen a lot of people talking about lately are um, abolition and the, the movement towards abolition more specifically and suddenly i'm seeing a lot of uh predominantly white voices <laughs> um saying like you know these are far-fetched ideas and this is you know this is quote-unquote crazy talk and you know oh only you know this must be like a bernie bro thing or like russian bot dissenters and um no these ideas have been around for so many years and you just had never heard of them because you hadn't opened a book and so i do get how where you where you feel like i get where you come from but at the same time i have to step back from myself and remember that like i also had a time that i was that idiot and that i thought these ideas were not viable and i didn't believe in them and now i feel like they are the only way forward and i don't understand how people could disagree even though i do accept that people disagree and i try not to push on them any harder than i'm going am right now yeah so i mean i guess better late than never right and you know at at least at least they um you know they could have just paid lip service and say we believe black lives matter tune in today for a ps5 games future of gaming presentation but no like i mean as much as they could be actionable about it they were so yeah you know they did they uh you know they also made donations to groups like the aclu aclu naacp um nonprofits like race forward so they really have by all accounts and appearances um been trying to really leverage some of their visibility for good and the fact that that includes their playstation 5 premiere event i, I hate to be um disgusting about it certainly and i certainly hate to assume the worst of them but they certainly won a lot of people over with that action i feel yeah 
uh, dipping back into the game events before we move on a little more. Um, we have the Escapist Indie Showcase from June 11th to 14th. Uh, the initial event is June 11th, 9, p- 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, uh, two-hour event. And then there's going to be continuous, not continuous, like nonstop. I don't, I don't, I don't but, believe like, so. Uh, but I mean, it's going to be followed by streams yeah. and interviews. Um, PC Gaming Show is June 13th. Yeah, and that's actually a uh, show that's being talked about a lot today. You know, we had the announcement a few days ago that Atlas, Sega, and XSeed would be showing games at that one. And we actually got what appears to be a fairly large spoiler for uh, what is apparently likely to be announced for uh, by Atlas. Uh, would you like to do the honors, Saiki? Well, I think um, all I can say is that we sh- we will have to reach out to the truth to see if this is real. Um, ah, that was well done. Apparently, we're going to be getting Persona 4 Golden um, for PC with a June 13th release. They're going to apparently... Um, stealth release? Well, they were going to try to stealth release it, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it appears that word has leaked. <laughs> We never saw it coming. Except we did. Right? Also, uh, why isn't Persona 5 on? Uh, well, one PC. thing at a time. <laughs> and, you know, the thing is, I actually see this as a step in that direction. To me, right. uh, getting Persona 3 off Persona 3 Golden, or I'm sorry, Persona 4 Golden, off of the Vita and onto a platform with HD portraits and art assets, I am assuming because otherwise it's going to be a real ugly release and people are going to be mad as hell. Um, But otherwise the fact that they're doing the work to upscale it and get it looking all pretty again is I would have to think an indication that they're getting ready to sell it again, including on other platforms. Cause again, if a console will run it these days, it just makes the most sense to put it on the platform and let it sell. Yeah. And I mean, I'm just glad for a way to, play persona four i was like persona four right this <laughs> is like, like i get uh getting the numbers on myself like yeah that was persona four i've just played persona four again um you know it, it did have i you know like all persona games it does have its issues particularly with queer representation to a degree but still one of my favorite rpgs of all time well it's not Uh, perfect but what is uh you know it's important that we love our darlings but that we also criticize them so that you know down the few in the future uh, what follows can be better yeah but i'm i'm happy to uh, have a way to play persona 4 that's not the vita because i i honestly don't even know where my vita is (laughs) it's probably uh packed away somewhere um well and it's so funny because i had literally reconnected my vita tv last week um because i hadn't thought i was gonna get persona 5 royal anytime soon and then it ended up on amazon being like ten dollars off that day so i was like uh f it i'll just get it so i didn't start persona 4 golden thinking okay well i'll start it after royal i guess now i'll uh maybe stop playing royal again and just wait a few days and start golden after all mm-hmm Gamers are the worst. Anyway, if you'd like to continue with the schedule. Yeah, so uh, to speed through the rest of this, we have the Future Games show 
on June thirteenth. Future future games. What's yeah? So that's oh, actually done by like the radar. Games radar. Yeah. Okay. Their their publisher is Future Games. You know. Oh, Future. Yeah. Okay. The Future Publishing Company. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and they have a, a link to it on their homepage already. In fact, um, it is going to be a quote unquote premiere digital showcase. So uh, please look forward to it. Okay. Uh, I was going to say like uh, apparently. Uh, so I'm looking at their um, their brands. So they are um, Games Radar, PC Gamer. Um, which is um, PC gaming show is not necessarily PC gamer, right? That is correct. Um, that's what I, that's what I was I always got confused about. It's um, my recollection that they like the first year maybe it was, but even then I don't recall anymore. Yeah, it looks like um, the official Xbox magazine, the official UK PlayStation magazine, Kotaku UK. Um, okay, so uh, that puts it more into context. Yeah, um, so that's one that I'm really excited about. The Guerrilla Collective um, is going to be June 13th through 15th. The Upload VR Showcase, June 16th. And then the Steam Game Festival Summer Edition is going to be June 16th to 22nd. EA Play Live is June 18th. And the New Game Plus Expo is going to be June 23rd. This is a seven-hour long event starting at 9 a.m. Man, I'm just thinking, you know, if the... We didn't have all this social distancing. We would be uh, getting some snacks, maybe some pop tarts, rice cakes. Yeah, legit. Like we would hang out for seven and hours and be watching this for seven hours because it's kind of um, definitely on our radar. It's uh, Nipponichi Software America, Sega, Arc System Works America, Koei Tecmo, SNK, Spike Chunsoft, NT Creates, WayForward, and Idea Factory International. So uh, that's definitely uh, that's definitely a buoy sort of. Um, event you know, right like literally all of our faves square enix has a june 24th presentation called the marvel avengers war table presentation cool uh, okay um, are they are they gonna make the game more interesting sorry sorry about it i mean trust i support square enix in so many other ways that i can criticize uh their marvel avengers i mean that's like one one studio right you know even if you didn't normalize having an opinion and then CD Projekt Red is going to be doing the Cyberpunk 2077 Night City Wire presentation on June 25th, 2020. Um, I don't think it's on the show roll, but we... Um, is it on the show roll? We were talking... Uh, or were we just having a conversation about um, that they've really seemed to come around on... I mean, and I can't say this as someone who mostly identifies as cisgender for the most part. Um, I but they seem like they have gotten better about their trans representation in cyberpunk 2077, um, including like that you can uh, basically freely customize your character's gender and, you know, um, gender expression from what I understand. Yeah. You know, I I have heard some very promising things since the initial, very haphazard sloppy reveals and messages. It was like, Ooh, yeah, so Sexy I'm trans. Yeah, I'm kind of at the point now of like I still really need to see it and hear voices um other than my own that are really better keyed into right. some of this stuff. But I, I do I think I'm I'm cautiously optimistic at this at this moment because it right, does because, appear I mean, that they've taken the memos. Um weren't our initial 
um, wasn't our initial introduction to the trans narratives in Cyberpunk 2077 like, ooh, they're sexy trans, but they're kind of a trap. I hate using that word, but I feel it wasn't that kind of the thing like that they were... There, there was something I just remember not feeling comfortable with. I, I do recall them using phrasing that I wasn't comfortable with. Yeah. Or like that there was some sort of deception or like that it was um, almost, I think it was almost like fetishizing it, like um, like fetishizing the... Um, trans perspective? Not the trans perspective. I thought that there was like trans imagery that was like meant to be like just like super fetish. I don't know. Oh, like, oh I see what, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, panties, like, you like know, a fetishization like, of trans bodies almost. Right. Like, ooh, like um, this is exotic. I, I mean, and I'm probably misspeaking. I probably should have uh, re-familiarized myself, honestly. But um, it's all right, yeah, girl. So That's maybe, why it's called the soft relaunch. Keep going. Yeah. Um. Anyways, I, I will better uh, re-familiarize myself because um, maybe not next episode. What, what day is that again? 25th. So, yeah, it wouldn't be by the time the next episode, but maybe... Um, after we see this um, Night City Wire presentation, um, we can you know do a little mini mini mini, mini discussion about currently it. planned for uh, June thirtieth. Oh wow, yeah, let's do it. And then June twenty seventh to twenty eighth, the Bit Summit Gaiden will be held online. Oh yay, that's great! You know the Bit Summit is always super cute. We always end up getting some some cute stuff out of that, like. I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of the digital version of the event. Yep. All right. So that's a lot of um, a lot of stuff going on. Do you want to talk about this Xbox Series X? I do. Uh, so, yeah. So first off, you know, all of that E3 info dumping is because we normally would have talked a lot about that. So really, y'all have just been really lucky not to have to be info dumped with so much e3 stuff you're just getting the good bits now it's like all killer no filler um, is it <laughs> right well there is that but we have this really cool update because we're getting all of the next gen console info releasing now um about a week ago we got a really cool info dump from microsoft about the xbox series x backwards compatibility features um xbox series x backwards compatibility features will support quick resume so you know uh if you're a big fan of those quick resume features that work so well on other consoles but uh only theoretically work on the xbox at present for the most part uh that is apparently getting fixed and will work very well with uh the older backwards compatibility games and the quick resume which i believe is the one that is where it's even faster so that you can even do like multiple games at a time and all that um additionally their graphics upscaling technology even will be implementing this wild like smart hdr functionality to make your our older games look better than ever with regard to you know color support and everything it's kind of really wild stuff that microsoft has been approaching things from this perspective of uh you know the series x really is just going to play all of our xbox one compatible games and more play them better than ever and better than our older boxes ever could and to even continue patching this support into games without any like new fees being associated with them beyond the cost of the box um and then on top of all of this we had the update that the backwards compatibility team is now again potentially looking at new 
360 backwards compatibility games to add, which they had previously indicated they weren't doing anymore. So honestly, this is just like such a cool freaking block of tech and information on how backwards compatibility is going to work. Um, I'm really looking forward to getting more information on what Series X games are going to look like. But yeah, I feel like we won't really get that part, that piece until after the PlayStation 5 event that, again, should have happened by now, but will be happening um, this week. And, and I only say should be happening now, not to lament or complain, but rather to note, I expect that after that event, we will get a word from Microsoft on when their big, their stuff reveal event is going to be. So I would, I would say watch this space next week for, for an update on Microsoft as well. Um, what do you think about this? It sounded like you were about to say that as far as your opinion on the console as a whole, that you need to hear more about Series X stuff. But what do you think about the backwards compatibility stuff? No, I mean, obviously that's great news. Um, no, I, just, I was going to say it's going to be a tough call for, you know, which one to get first for uh, those who can only get one. And, you know, obviously with, you know, financial situation, I've been, yeah, that's actually going to be a lot of us. I think, especially this year, it, a lot of us will probably not even be able to be day one adopters of our faves. Right. I and mean, that's uh, okay. I'm very lucky that I was able to continue. Um, I'm sorry. I just, I got distracted <laughs> by um, on this Kotaku article. I don't know. If um, you also see this, um, this also on the sidebar is the recent video called Wheel of Fortune AI is not smart. And so basically it was, I guess it was autoplaying in the background. And so the it was a Wheel of Fortune, you know, I'm guessing that Ubisoft release, you know, um, and the correct answer was pet gerbil, but I guess apparently <laughs> the AI gets pee gerbil. Oh my God. <laughs> That kind of makes me want to get that game, um, even though I just got the Clubhouse games to do like fun, casual stuff with. But now I kind of want to get that Wheel of Fortune. Nice. Um, so anyways, yeah, um, you know, I was going to say I've been very lucky that I've been able to continue receiving my salary from my job. And, um, you know, um, so I I will likely be picking at least one of them up. But I also definitely recognize that some people may not be doing either so i don't want to come from place of too much privilege but uh, you know it, it is kind of like i guess console wars again is short long story short yep yep because both seem really promising they really do let's see i would also like to update here the tales of festival 2020 stream because the tales of festival 2020 obviously had to be canceled um is going to be set for june 14th and the um, folks behind the Tales series have noted that this is going to be more of a fun oriented stream and that there will be a more substantial event set on March 7th of 2021. So it sounds like this might be an update on games that are already in the works. Uh, hopefully we'll get an update on Tales of Arise, uh, but we probably won't get any huge new announcements of like big fancy new games. And I think a lot of us are understanding that this is going to be kind of a weird year for stuff like that. Right. Uh, something that came out of left field for many, many, many of us, though, was the surprise announcement of Paper Mario, the Origami King. Uh, this is a Nintendo Switch title, of course, and it's going to be releasing worldwide on July 17th. 
which is obviously yeah. absurd. You know, it's just literally two months from announcement to release of a game that no one had ever heard of. Kind of reminds me of, uh, was it Color Splash that had the early release on the Wii U eShop? I mean, technically, yes, although that was a huge accident. It it did occur. You're absolutely yeah, I was, right. I uh, was watching a, a couple of weeks ago, I was watching a video on that. Um, yeah, uh, it seems like it's going to be more of a return to form. Uh, the partner system is back. You know, the past couple of Paper Marios have not been quite as well loved. I mean, you know, we're getting to the point where original Paper Mario was... N64, I mean, so we're coming up like 20, 20 years of Paper Mario's, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's at the point where Paper Mario is an established series. And, you know, arguably ever since Thousand Year Door kind of, you know, maybe did not quite return to glory because, you know, you had Super Paper Mario, which I actually enjoyed quite a bit. But, you know, it definitely was not meant, I don't think, to be a proper Paper Mario game yeah not a mario. mario g type experience right and then you know sticker star um you know was not really well received and then color splash well color splash as a game it should be noted is a better game than sticker star i say this is someone who That's has actually played them both um color splash is just one of those games that i think really suffered from being at the wrong place at the wrong time it's still not quite the game that everyone was wanting but like super paper mario which you were just mentioning um, which i also like it is a cool game on its own merits as opposed to sticker star which it has not like at the time when it released i was thirsty for paper mario anything and thought people were being too harsh but in retrospect i was also being too generous and it's a little more middling than I would like. Yeah. I guess you can also kind of half count Paper Jam, right? Because that's kind of a crossover. Yeah. And and to be fair, that was a cute one. Yeah. But I mean, the Mario and Luigi games kind of took, were taking the throne from, uh, from the Paper Mario series for a while in terms of RPG Marios. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, now who knows what with Alpha Dream dissolving. I know. That's what, um, because um, I mean, that's been, um, Pretty much right after Bowser Inside Story remake, right? That's pretty much it. So yeah, yeah, and I mean, Plus I guess Bowser Jr.'s journey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess the one nice thing there is that their closure when it happened. Like, I feel like Bowser is Inside Story plus Bowser Jr.'s journey, like doing better, probably wouldn't have made a huge yeah. deal to them. Um, I know that like the general games press has noted that and like i've seen a lot of like gamer nerds noting that but like historically nintendo has been really good about paying developers like that even when the games aren't like huge smash hits uh you know we obviously know that there are entire studios that have stayed afloat off just nintendo money that way even with none of their games being huge smash hits so mm -hmm. i really i really can't imagine that their dissolution directly involved Mario and Luigi, but I am very curious as to what it would have been about. Yeah. Um, that being said, Paper Not Mario said, Origami yeah. King looks super cute, super excited that we're basically just a month away from a new Paper Mario game. Um, right. And it's origami, and who doesn't love origami? I mean, specifically, I know for a fact that you personally love origami. Sure does. So, uh, yeah, this is very exciting. Indeed. We, we also got Street the five. Oh, yeah, we got the exciting announcement that Street Fighter Five is getting an additional final fifth season of downloadable content. 
Players can expect five more characters from the fifth season of Street Fighter V DLC, as well as three new background stages. Additional details will be coming this summer, and I can't help but wonder if we won't hear some news on that in the next couple weeks. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I feel like last time we were talking about Street Fighter V and kind of being like, it's still got a little life left in it, right? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know that any of us expected it to have quite this much life left in it, but heck, you know, I'll take it. Anything that extends the life of the games we already have right now, I will definitely take. Yeah. Um, so got a little bit more to see. Um, so it's five more characters and three more stages. Um, any idea on the characters that we could be getting? You know, I myself am not sure. I've seen a lot of folks talking about how I guess there are a couple more characters from Street Fighter 4, like Sea Viper, that people are hoping for uh, to see make the jump over. Um, Makoto from Street Fighter 3, I think a lot of us expected to have come over to this game already. So I, I, those are the ones I'm kind of looking at. Uh, do you have any characters you have your eye on or are expecting? Because as far as I know, there haven't been any announcements yet. But again, I'm personally expecting that. Personally, I'm expecting that in the next like 48 hours, but we'll see how that goes. Yeah, no, I'm not sure. Excellent. Excellent. Then uh, how about this last uh, last one of our hot topics for us today? Okay, so Amazon Games, um, about mid-May, put out a game called Crucible. It's a free-to-play team-based shooter because I guess we needed another one of those. Um, Ostensibly, those of us who don't play Overwatch anymore need somewhere to go, but yeah, mm, I don't yeah. know that this was it. Well, apparently it wasn't it for many people because uh, Kotaku was reporting at the end of May, so just eight days after launch, that basically, um, aside from a few sponsored streams, and keep in mind that Amazon owns Twitch, so, you know, that's being yeah, said. Yeah, it's not uh, like it exactly cost a lot out of their promotional budget. Um, that there's basically not a really big community. Um, yeah, and honestly, like, I think this is just a matter of... it up themselves, like, even being able to shoot, shove ads in other people's streams, because I've seen ads for this game, even though I've never watched a stream for this game. Pretty wild. I feel yeah, bad because, like, I would like to play it. I'd like to check it out, but it's, I literally can't find any, like, good gameplay or, like, people talking about it with any real passion. And it's tough for me to jump in blind sometimes on these kinds of online experiences where I'm already coming in with, like, my own trepidation about interacting with randos on the internet. So tough sell for me. And it's made tougher by situations like this. It kind of sucks. It really, you know, uh, Kotaku describes it as like another Battleborn. And I think that's a really unfortunate way to describe a game. But also, I worry that that's correct. Yeah. And uh, I think this is just an issue of oversaturation. You know, we've got so many games like this. And um, well, yeah. And, you know, at least they didn't make another Battle Royale, right? Right. Although, you know, I'll say I think there are still genres that Battle Royale could touch and be interesting, but I still want to see Nintendo take a take a crack at it because look what they did. What do you mean again? They did Tetris 99. Oh, I mean, that's, you know, I would absolutely argue that it is a Battle Royale game, like fundamentally. And that's a great twist on the Tetris formula. But I mean, I mean, a little more. I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, a like loot and shoot fortnite esque okay see to me that is a different okay it, it's becoming a different genre and i guess that's the thing is that to me battle royale is becoming a genre unto itself um yeah because at, at its core tetris 
99 is still Tetris, you know. I mean, it is, but I would also say that, you know, by being a Battle Royale game, it fundamentally changes the shape of the game. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's great. I'm just saying, when I said Battle Royale, I meant specifically, you know, Fortnite. Um, so did you almost mean, player... like, the the survival aspect? Right, like, you know, Last last Man Standing. So what if Co-op versus breath of the wild what's that so if they could somehow put a breath of the wild gameplay loop into a multiplayer co-op slash versus experience that type of thing perhaps or i was kind of uh i mean i was just thinking about you know splatoon how that was their answer to you know i see i was too focused on the survival aspects of the the building and the the crafting and what have you not necessarily i mean i just mean like 150 or 100 people drop in and kill each other until there's one left. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it always what sounds one, like fun for a whole family to me. What was that other one that tried to be the Fortnite color, and now we don't even talk about it? It's like the Battleborn to Fortnite's Overwatch. Like, no one cares. You know, they people were talking about it. For, okay, maybe, whatever, it'll come back to me. Yeah, because I'm sitting here, I'm just like, you can't possibly mean PUBG. No, poor PUBG. Because but, that's right. Because I was going to say exactly. You you know, I don't have to tell EA you. The EA one. What's the one that EA did? But I mean, I guess, you know, EA is, EA is making a fine name for themselves of things that are forgettable. Anthem. <clears throat> oh, uh, Apex? Apex Legends. Yeah. Okay. It has to be said that game is, it's, it's liked. That game is liked. Yeah, no, man, it's just, but it's also in a oversaturated market so to speak you are absolutely right there which i kind of think you know because uh, crucible was um described as being kind of like overwatch but also kind of like league of legends but you know again there's just so much in that sphere that i think to really stand out you're gonna have to be like nintendo and splatoon it apparently a game called anime land had more streamers i want to see what Ana- anime land is all Maybe right I well Maybe I don't. <laughs> you can do that. Maybe well, uh, while you do, I'll take a trip over to the Culture Club. No, I'd rather go to the Culture Club. Let's do that. Excellent. Then let's enjoy some smaller bites, ostensibly about the world around us. Uh, you know, I think that it's always important that we take a look at sort of what's happening within the larger gamer sphere. Uh, we obviously have very niche tastes and are specifically into the import titles and the jrpgs and the what have you uh, but there is a larger gaming world out there and with that having been said i have a couple of stories here i really wanted to share with you and the first one is one that while i'm very passionate about i would prefer slaggy start talking about because i think he's a little more media literate than i am do you say media illiterate because i think that would be more accurate i did not say media illiterate how rude i would yourself. think that'd be more love accurate. yourself love yourself so i mean i don't really know what i could add that you um that you wouldn't be able to add so but basically um streamers on twitch are spreading conspiracy theories and twitch isn't really doing anything i mean i think that there's in particular with you know covid19 and there's you know oh i think didn't this article even mention that uh idea of bill gates Yes, um, in fact, yeah. How that's what I thought Bill um, Gates the, is going to use the that he, headline he, about how half of uh, Fox News viewers think Bill Gates is using COVID to try and microchip people because he donated monies to think tanks that helped um, to help develop um, a coronavirus vaccine. Yeah, 
Yeah. And I think it's just, um, you know, then there's like, you know, QAnon is tied into here. And I mean, like, you know, QAnon is the whole, you know, deep state thing. If you're not too familiar with it, it's. Uh, yeah, I would I would actually prefer right. that we keep our, our hands clean of that. I um I don't even want to show people that door if they don't know it. It's it's a whole world yeah. of brain worms that I strongly encourage folks just don't go there yeah um you know the reason why i wanted to talk about this though really is that it really is concerning to me uh we have so many younger impressionable people who i think watch youtube facebook uh twitch streams and so when we see that these conspiracy theories are being espoused so widely Mm -hmm. via game streamers and you know i i know that you know uh, dr disrespect was one that had some issues yeah um, with the um with the 5g causing covid well, actually, well and that's actually noted here in this article yeah because... um i i know i saw a funny meme making fun of that and i'm i'm all about memes making fun of uh conspiracy theories it said that um because of 5g um i, I mean it's, it was funnier on the actual meme but basically like um people are emitting their own wi-fi signals and it had like a picture of uh People with like the little Wi-Fi things coming out of their mouth. I don't know. It was funnier when I saw it on the meme. That, that's funny. Memes don't really so, trans don't always translate. Like especially like visual memes, they don't always translate to uh, to audio very well. Oops. That's all yeah, right. These sorry, things happen. Go, can go ahead and continue. Well, so you know the thing is right. Uh, basically, anyone can say anything on these platforms, and it is more important now than ever to educate yourself. Um, if you believe these things, you believe these conspiracy theories, and you're listening to this show, uh, while I would admit that I question your taste to some degree, um, hopefully you're at least out there doing your own research on this stuff and coming to your own conclusions on them. Um, I think it's really important when world events really reflect back to us how unreliable the data streams tend to be and by that i just mean all of these various streams of data that we have coming in i'm not if that's some kind of a phrase or term i don't i'm not oh, wait, do you mean it. the data streams that are coming because 5g gave us covid <laughs> that's my fear honestly that it's going to be misinterpreted as such but no, we just we have to be really cognizant of what we're taking in right now. And I will also say, you know, this news story for me was a huge part of why I went personally from being really unmotivated to podcast and really feeling like the most important thing I could do was sit and be quiet and let other voices with more valuable perspectives speak um, is that right now. There's some value to any perspective that espouses science and observation of the actual world yeah. around us. Um, again, you know, we really have to be uh, the change that we want to see in the world. And uh, the reality is that there are a lot of people putting bad information out there. So if you're someone who thinks you can put good information out there, I, I think it's a good idea to do so, especially within gaming spaces like this. I mean, I think the takeaway here is that, you know, people who have a following on twitch or other platforms you know uh have a responsibility to you know yeah if not a responsibility then it's certainly something worth considering for yourself because the platforms themselves aren't going to clean themselves up so if we want healthy platforms that foster real actual 
true tolerance, we also have to keep in mind that sometimes that requires intolerance of unhealthy ideas that are destructive to our community. Definitely. So in an unfortunate piece of news, apparently 140,000 accounts were possibly breached in April yeah, during so, a Nintendo accounts hack. Yeah, so and the wild thing about this, you know, this happened back in April, and a lot of us, I actually, one of my Switch accounts actually got uh, attempt, attempted breach. It was not breached, but someone was attempting to. Um, basically, like, as many as 300,000 Nintendo accounts overall were breached in a, ha a security hack that um, I feel like basically nobody was talking about. And Nintendo is still sort of on the sly sort of updating that that number might have been as high. Again, initially it was announced as 160,000 and they just updated that, uh, you know, there's another 140,000 potentially in the mix and such the real total is more like 300,000. Um, to me, it's wild that this isn't or wasn't a bigger news story, although I understand with everything going on in the world right now why that would be the case. Um, but I guess I wanted largely to bring it up just especially so people know if they didn't hear about this, it happened and, uh, you know, secure your, your accounts, everybody just be safe. Yeah. Um, we also ha have a story about a Fortnite winner who was cheating and stripped of their prize money. This is, uh, Teklosama, who was the winner of the Asian leg of the Fortnite champion series, who was apparently caught teaming, which means that he was getting help from someone looting health packs and stuff and then hiding them and then basically so basically just kind of being a lackey basically uh from what i yeah. understand yeah it's not entirely dissimilar to almost like a power leveling in concept where maybe like someone like joins up with you and then just like throws the match that type of thing or like uh you know, like how when you power level, like one person does all the heavy lifting and you just kind of hang back. It's kind of like that, but yeah, feel, feel for like a versus to, mode. People used to do that to like, uh, oh, I'll help you get a easy arena ranking. In, uh, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. And I think it's bannable behavior in that game as well. Yeah. So don't cheat. Don't cheat. I know that you're cheating. So don't get caught teaming. Don't tell me because it hurts. All right. I w did not know what you were doing there until you got to the those last bits there. Um, I guess I got to work on my Gwen Stefani acapella. Sorry about it. Yeah, you do play rock band. Get Ouch. back to me. I was I was teasing. I'm sorry. So this one's kind of funny. Do you want to talk? I mean, I say funny, but I honestly put this article in the show role just for you because I thought this driver was so cute. Yeah, but then he did something kind of janky. Um, yeah, so uh, there is a Formula E, which I guess is that the like the European NASCAR. I don't follow um, racing quite that much. Okay, it's apparently um, a motorsport championship that only uses electric cars. Okay, that's cool. Cute. I support that. So uh, apparently, it seems to be um, um, European. I guess. Um, oh, because Formula One is kind of their like NASCAR, right? I guess I don't know. Anyway, so Daniel Apt. Um, a 27-year-old German driver. Uh, okay, th so the context here is that, you know, a lot of sports have been, um, since they haven't been able to do sports, have been having their players do virtual esports, which I think is kind of also something that's really interesting. You know, we were talking earlier about how um, the COVID-19 crisis, um, you know, has affected gaming and, you know, uh, kind of interesting to see esports, you know, kind of uh, 
get almost get a boost from this, you know, so to speak. Yeah, um, yeah. And so particularly seems to be that racing seems to be um, a game that, um, or sorry, a game racing seems to be uh, very heavily like um, NASCAR even uh, was airing in their esports online. So, I mean, it's kind of cool. Um, but basically this 27 year old uh, German driver uh, who is cute, but um, he's a cheater uh, because he uh, had someone else uh, racing for him. So he like hired some, uh, I don't know if it was a pro gamer, but you know, he was just like um, saying like, sorry, I didn't take it seriously. And I, uh, you know, didn't want, I didn't mean to, you know, negatively impact this, but yeah, don't cheat. Yeah. Honestly, this was such a, like, I was really disappointed in this storyline storyline in this news story because and i'll admit this is terribly shallow of me i thought that the driver was hella cute and so i was really disappointed to hear that he was kind of a scumbag and i mean like you know use this opportunity as like oh so you maybe aren't the best racer in and it doesn't say in the kotaku article what they were playing there's a bbc article i'm going to see if it mentions um it's just the race at home challenge so yeah, it's not it's not saying what game it was, but uh, I imagine that because um, we have games that are like uh, you know Forza Motorsport um, that are like you know really well regarded and stuff. This is so weird because I can't even I'm on their Wikipedia uh, article about the Formula E race at home. Oh, the platform of R Factor Two. It's computer racing simulator. Okay, interesting. Uh, so it's not necessarily a like a, a Forza motorsports thing but you know those forza games uh pretty well uh regarded for you know their realism right yeah well and so i was kind of assuming that there had to have been some kind of angle like this because i had been unable to find like what game they had been playing yeah so, so it's a uh yeah it's obvious it seems to me like it's you know more like a proprietary software like it's actually meant for driver training in race car development it kind of makes me think of uh, which I would seen... still think would make it a proprietary type use for yeah. this, this this you know race application and what have you. Right, right. Uh, have you ever seen Cars Three? I haven't. Oh my god, so good. Uh, there's like a this uh, uh, makes me think of a part of Cars Three. You should watch it. Um, also, apparently, um, one of the um, permanent guests for the entirety of the series. Which apparently, I guess, it just ended on the the seventh. Um, was a driver named Charlie Martin, who is the first transgender driver to be affiliated with the Formula E. That's awesome. So, way to go, Charlie! Hell yeah, Charlie! All right. Well, then we also have word that there is now a very good 3DS emulator oh, yeah. on the Android platform. Uh, you know, we well, often pretty good. yeah, right. We often talk here on the show about emulators and emulation and what have you you know we obviously Don't cheat. <laughs> well we do we do encourage supporting the original authors of all of this software the original publishers of all of the software to, the extent, that you to can. the extent that it is reasonable to do so absolutely um but at the same time a lot of these games are no longer reasonably available um at this point the only people who are profiting off of their resale are you know pirates uh, people who are counterfeiting old cartridges or or you know new copies of old cartridges or you know just people who hoarders who are sitting on them and it just kind of sucks altogether actually and for those types of uses in my opinion emulators are lovely as well as for uh 
especially on disc games, you know, revisiting some older games on newer hardware is very easy to do. Yeah, um, but I mean, if you have a game like Anime Land, which apparently is for the Casio Loopy. Oh, my. You probably have to emulate that. Precisely. And now the 3DS has gotten to this point where um, we've gotten to the point where there's a fairly mature 3DS emulator for the Android platform. It runs solidly across what I understand is a fairly wide array of hardware, but because Android hardware can uh, vary so wildly in terms of performance, obviously you should check with your own phone or tablet to see if it can run it. Uh, the program is Citra, which is, of course, a port of the PC application of the same name and it uh works gangbusters on the pc platform and by all accounts also works brilliantly on the uh on the android platform yeah now we just have to find a good casio loopy emulator do you think there's fantastic think yeah there's a lot i'm of sure the... we could get a loopy well i mean uh if someone if someone is streaming anime land clearly there is a casio loopy uh emulator out there or or they're streaming a real loopy oh wow I well, don't know that, but uh, I hope. Speaking of uh, being loopy, I mean, I don't know. Bad, bad transition. Um, there's a gaming website platform called G2A that was kind of suspicious. Basically, they were um, reselling stolen keys. Yeah, and so the thing about this is a lot of us for a long time have kind of figured and known that G2A was kind of dicey uh, and, you know, uh, have tried to avoid it. But I always see people all over the place on every forum and message board arguing the legitimacy of G2A's platform. And so what we basically have here, and we'll link you to the story over at GameBooie.org. GameBooie.org. But basically... Kotaku is ran this story, which was a really fantastic explanation of how um, previously G2A had offered to pay studios up to 10 times the cost of their games if they could prove that stolen keys were found on their marketplace. And the long story short is that G2A actually resisted for a long time, like um, really prove or accepting claims on this stuff. There's been kind of a lot of back and forth that from smaller retailers and smaller publishers that they've been unable to get G2A to uh, comply with this deal in the first place. But even even then, basically for years and years, G2A has been saying there are not pirate keys on their site that that this is something that doesn't happen and the the rare instances where it does are just people being a impacted by a vocal minority issue um, but basically what the details of this blog post um, that are all laid out on g2a's website and then you can follow up with kotaku where they really underline some of the assumptions made there that g2a is really wrong about uh, that really show that at the end of the day, G2A has been taking studios and publishers for a ride for years, even by their own estimation and investigation. So it's it's kind of a, a big deal that if you're already using G2A, you need to not now, um, because effectively you're dealing in stolen goods. And uh, that's probably one of so the laws you should try not to break. Were they really so ballsy that they thought no one was going to call their bluff on that? Well, my understanding is that they made it so that you have to jump through like a lot of hoops and that for the most part, um, publishers just don't think it's worth the the time to re like, did they want to get caught a relatively small amount of money? I honestly, I think that they thought they could get away with it. 
I, you know, I mean, honestly, it's one word for it. I would say shitty and rude. Yeah, I mean, something can be shitty and also be ballsy. Shitty balls. (laughs) Ah, you're right. It reminds me of, um, there used to be this um, rap app that we used to use uh, back in the day. Um, I say we, talking about you and I, this is to the audience, and um, you could randomly challenge, like, strangers to rap battles. And I remember this um, one, uh, presumably, like, high school girl, um, her rap was just like, shitty ball sack, ball sack, ball sack, ball sack, shitty ball sack, ball sack, ball sack, ball sack. (laughs) That's just what it made me think of. Shitty ball sack, ball sack. So basically, don't be G2A and be a shitty ball sack. Um, Excellent. So what's this next one? This is a cute little piece of news. So happy 40th birthday this year to Pac-Man, although I... uh, I thought Pac-Man was 79, but I guess it was 1980. May 22nd, 2020 was the 40th anniversary. Yeah. Okay. Um, So as a way to celebrate Pac-Man's 40th birthday, um, Amazon and Bandai Namco have paired up to announce Pac-Man Live Studio. Um, What's interesting about this is it's all on a Twitch page. So basically... um, it's kind of like you create your own Pac-Man levels. It's interesting that it's all just done uh, on Twitch, though. That's uh, yeah. very interesting. Yeah, I'm this really cute. excited to see how this all works out. I mean, it looks very, you know, compared to Mario Maker. I mean, you, you think of a game like Super Mario Brothers and a game like Pac-Man. Obviously, one is uh, leaps and bounds more complex than the other, you know, because Mario leaps. Ooh. I see. But, you know, uh, I love any sort of thing like this, you know, uh, Obviously, love Mario Maker. Uh, I would love to see other types of whatever makers, just because I love anything that puts any sort of game development, game design in the hands of gamers. Excellent, excellent. We also have the not surprising in retrospect, but very surprising if you uh, think about the perspective we would have had the last time we recorded an episode, the Sonic the Hedgehog movie is getting a sequel. Yeah, apparently it did well enough and. Was well received enough. You actually, yeah, it was hella thought, good. Right? Yeah, it was hella good. I've seen it a few times. Yeah, I did not uh, get around to seeing it. I believe was that right around the time that things were starting to get locked down, or no? Was that was I like I saw a, it on Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day. That's right. I just remember because that was your yours and your husband's Valentine's Day, and I remember teasing you about it. You know, yeah. that was actually hella good. Um. So yeah, no, I, I guess um. So it was almost at that time, but you know. Anyway, yeah, so uh, most likely going to have Tails. Uh, that is, uh, I would expect so. That means that a threequel could have Knuckles. I know you're excited about it. That's why they call you yeah, Knuckles. Knuckles is my, yeah, Knuckles is my boy. That's exciting. And then for this last uh, little piece of our culture club, would you take it away? Yeah, so Skullgirls had an update at the end of May that uh, honored two queer players. The first one is the appearance of Sonic Fox. You know, we've talked about Sonic Fox quite a bit here um, and their um, success in the esports realm, you know. Um, and Skullgirls was actually where Sonic Fox got their kind of their start and really start to, started to kind of make a name for themselves. And so uh, there is a training stage, and I, I had to kind of look at that because I've actually never played Skullgirls, but this makes me want to, especially. Um, in reaction to the reaction to this. Um, so there's a training stage that usually has an NPC named Mrs. Victoria, but randomly, every once in a while, it'll have Sonic Fox 
appear in their uh, persona. That and, is so cute. Which is just a cute way to, you know, honor their contribution to the Skull Girls, you know, competitive scene. Um, and then also you can um, apparently see a little trans flag when the screen shakes. It'll move uh, their jacket to honor Sonic Fox's non-binary um, gender identity. <clears throat> I had to, sorry, I just had to think of the proper terminology for that. And then also, there's another um, really cool thing in the same Are you talking about Sev? Yes. So Sev was another high-level player who had donated to one of the high-level tiers to, um, during the crowdfunding for Skullgirls, be immortalized as an in-game NPC. Um, And, you know, over the course of... Skullgirls, you know, it was because that's been around for almost 10 years at this point. Sev has since transitioned. And so working with her, they updated her um, appearance in the game. It's just, I think, and also in the background of a of a stage, right? If I'm not a That's mistaken. my understanding, yeah. But to uh, reflect her current gender and her current way that she expresses her gender. And I just think that's really cool. And um, a lot of people were not cool about this because... Um, despite, you know, it being 2020, a lot of people still have a problem with trans individuals in the trans community and, um, side note, JK Rowling, um, you know, that whole mess, I totally disavow or not disavow, uh, I totally disown like any, um, fandom that I had for Harry Potter at this point, which is because I do not want to support her. Um, that being said, a lot of people were being trash. I think some people were adding, um, at in you know uh on twitter toby fox who is uh undertale right that's toby fox right uh-huh and weren't some people like in toby fox being like you're trash blah 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 and it's like lol it's not even the right person um although toby fox i, I hope is not trash because um i enjoy his work but uh because people are being not because people but um that just makes me even more want to support skull girls um for being super uh like skull girls said trans rights basically indeed all right well i i hate to take you anywhere forcibly but i think i'm gonna have to kidnap you to my own private idaho and uh talk about left of the center news stuff that we specifically care about here on the show because uh we're running out of time already holy moly it's already 10 23 as of this time of recording wow see i thought you were gonna take me to planet z but okay Ah, uh, unfortunate, but no. Um, let's see. This first news story. I'm. Super I'm sorry. Channel about. Channel Z. It's um. Planet Unicorn. Hey. No. What was what was there? Oh, is that Channel One Hundred One? Wild. Wild. Think of a planet. whole different thing. Oh, Wild Planet. Which, okay. Which Wild Planet? Wild Planet is actually the record where my own private Idaho's from. Oh, excellent. <laughs> but I was mixing it up with Channel Z. Oh, me getting my V52's references mixed up. So this article that I'm really excited about is called How the Makers of Samurai Showdown Neo Geo Collection Dug Up a Long Lost Unreleased Game. Yeah, that was really cool. Yeah, so see, it's a really cool article, but it also leads into us quickly noting that the Samurai Showdown Neo Geo Collection is going to be releasing on the Epic Games Store for free for its first week on June 11th, Steam on June 18th, and PS4 and Switch on July 28th. 
This is going to include the six core Samurai Showdown games, which is Samurai Showdown 1 through 5 and 5 Special, and a new game, well, quote unquote new, uh, Samurai Showdown 5 Perfect, which is a game that had been uh, made back at the time of Samurai Showdown 5. It was meant to be a new version update to the arcade kind of wasn't there, like, release. Old Heroes Perfect. Well, yeah, so, I mean, in terms of naming convention, games being specials or perfects over on the SNK Neo Geo side are pretty normal, yeah, especially for these kinds of, like, final revisions of, like, patch releases, because a lot of these older arcade releases would get patches while still, you know, in the arcade cabinet, and, uh, you know, they did this ROM update and SNK never got around to it because at the time that this game was made, they were moving on from that, uh, you know, due to a lot of the issues that were going on with SNK at the time. So this game never got used and the studio that it had been subcontracted out to, you know, they had slept on a copy of it, which even though is supposed to be a big no-no, um, you know, they were able to end up digging it up and including it here so that we have a truly correct and complete collection of uh, titles in the Summary Showdown franchise on the Neo Geo platform. Uh, as a it's fan wild. of the Neo Geo platform, yeah, it's it really wild. And this is such a big story for us in the, the Neo Geo fandom. Especially since Samurai Showdown is a little bit of that left of center. It's the game buoy of fighting. Uh, well, not fighting games, but I mean, it's not the game buoy of fighting games, but kind of at the time it was, right? I mean, it's kind of the first big like weapons based fighter so it definitely has like, like a, Calibre, a whole ass legacy uh, owes a, a lot to it oh yeah definitely um but you know it's at the same time while it is one of the more notable games on the neo geo it is not the most notable so you're absolutely right there it, it isn't king of fighters slash you know fatal fury right etc also Let's did you like my world heroes perfect reference I did. I, I appreciate it. Let's see. We also have word here that Monolith Soft, um, they noted in an interview with Famitsu that Monolith Soft had actually been founded to try and make Xenogears 2 come to fruition. Wow. A bunch of people everywhere just fangasmed. Right? Uh, of course, this doesn't surprise those of us whom have been seeing uh, the Xeno series thrive over the years, you know, to know that this was an eventual goal or had been a goal at some point. But basically, Monolith Soft cut because, or from Square Enix, uh, specifically because after the Spirits Within, according to this interview, um, Square was not going to greenlight Xenogears 2 due to all the money that Spirits Within lost. And so they ended up from there on deciding that they were going to cut and found Monolith Soft, which is sick as hell. And honestly, I'm happy they did because, you know, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition just came out on Switch and it's Are you really great. feeling it? I'm really feeling it. And yeah, so obviously I think they made the right call. Finally, Square Enix has bounced back, I think, but it's taken them literally 20 years. Here we are. Do you think Tom DeLonge is playing Xenogear, sorry, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition? And when he's like, I'm feeling this. We also have word here that Pokemon Home is offering new mystery gifts in the form of Grookey, Scorbunny, and Sobble. Yeah, I actually, I'll talk about this a little later in our What's Up. Um, but they have their hidden abilities, which is super cool. Yeah, it is really, really cool. So I'm excited about that. Uh, we also have word that Bandai Namco will be releasing the Pac-Man Championship Edition um, D-Make 
So this is super cute, right? So this is going to be a bonus if you get all 10 of the Namcot collection games, which Namco is going to be releasing um, on the eShop on Switch, as well as in a physical form for Switch. And basically, if you get the physical form, it will come with the all 10 games and the demake. If you buy the individual games online, you have to buy all 10 of them to get the demake. Now, this uh, Namcot collection is by M2, right? I believe that that is correct, yeah. And I mean, you know, we've talked about the Sega ages for ages, so uh, oh, probably yeah. going to be really great. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they were also the ones behind the fantastic emulation on the uh, TurboGrafx-16 Mini slash, uh, you know, uh, PC Engine Mini, which has some of the best mini console emulation I've ever seen. So, honestly, they really are just truly remarkable at what they do uh we also got announcements here today out of bungie uh destiny 2 is getting a new annual expansion this is going to be beyond light that's going to be arriving september 22nd of this year but Super in, exciting right and then in addition to that we actually got the confirmation of Destiny 2 expansions The Witch Queen in 2021 and Lightfall in 2022, uh, which oh, wow. they noted that Lightfall is a working title, but they wanted to be, it's my understanding, very clear in their dedication to Destiny 2 for the years to come. So, uh, you know, they also talked a lot more about their sort of plans for the Destiny 2 platform moving forward. Um, we don't really have time to talk about all of that here in depth today but we will probably do a little destiny follow-up next week because i, I am a fan of the I'll game to, and yeah, i'm excited to, to talk about it didn't they just uh, start a new season yeah like today so it's all exciting yeah stuff. so good time to uh, dip back in then yeah uh, we also got word out of the kingdom hearts dark road official twitter that they are now back on a regular updating cadence um, they have referred to it. They have referred to it as back-to-back -back reveals, um, and they have basically done updates in the last two days in a row. Um, some of us are extrapolating. That might mean we're going to be getting a lot more Kingdom Hearts Dark Road news over the next week. Uh, fingers crossed. So far, what we have are a little bit of background on Master Ericus and Master Xehanort, as well as the identities of a small handful of new characters. If you're oh interested, right, the story begins again. Um, I have to assume that we're going to be seeing uh, some Kingdom Hearts stuff over the next few weeks. I just otherwise I can't see why the twitter for this mobile game would be doing this weird like publicity stunt where that they had to you know delay and uh, and and put off for some number of weeks and then finally start doing it it's the whole thing is just weird to me and when i see dates start lining up i tend to get suspicious i'm excited as hell for kingdom hearts anything though so gimme 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 you would play kingdom hearts dark road crossy road i would Let's see. We also, a few weeks ago, had bizarre new footage emerge of 2011's Gears of War 3 running on the PlayStation 3. Wait, you mean Xbox-exclusive Gears of War franchise? Exactly. So you may recall back in the day that there was quite a few rumors that Gears of War 3 um, might not be an Xbox exclusive after all. 
at the end of the day, it did end up being an Xbox exclusive. But, you know, this footage led many of us to speculate that maybe those talks were still ongoing a lot further than we had uh, expected. Uh, for their for their worth, of course, uh, an Epic representative had noted that this was really just a byproduct of Epic's internal testing process for Unreal Engine 3, which obviously makes sense that, you know, both Gears and Unreal Tur Tournament were both built on PlayStation 3. Uh, but at the same time, like, you can do a lot of testing without making a whole ass build of a game that runs and is burnt to physical media or whatever like i don't know there's a whole weird ass angle to this that is just to me fascinating and i don't think we're getting the whole story on it and i really i don't know when we will but i look forward to that day yeah let's see do you want to wrap up this last bit of sad news for us yeah unfortunately um hironobu sakaguchi san announced that terra battle will be ending service uh, it's been around since 2014, so that's a really good run for a uh, for a mobile game. Right. It's a little sad that that's where we're at these days. We're like, oh, man, this game existed for five years. What a good life it had. But at the same yeah. time, compared to many other games within that space, it is it is a good long life. It just, again, is something that I think we need to reckon with uh, from a game preservation perspective if we want these games to ever be able to be revisited although i guess the argument against would be that some of these games are hardly games at all and don't need to be saved but that's not the point that's neither here nor there yeah and then, hey hey terror battle outlived terror battle too <laughs> right and is way more of a real game than many of these social games in my opinion i i is I terror like wars it. um do we know the status of terror wars you know i have not heard anything about it in a long time I would hope if it is ever going to exist, my expectation would be that it, I don't know, gets announced soon, I hope. I, I kind of doubt it. Yeah, and I mean, we also have um, Fantasian for the Apple Arcade. I would love to see um, Mr. Walker go back and do some uh, console games, but, you know, they got to do what they got to do. And what we got to do over here is move on to this discussion. Yeah, yeah, right. So I guess let's start off by talking a little bit about this discussion because, you know, you might be used to us doing these sort of big discussions on things, trying to be all inclusive. Um, but I want to be a little more intentionally subjective here, uh, bring our experiences to the table and really focus on uh, sort of from our perspective the motion control fad uh, both how it was received at the time and um sort of looking back like were people fair about motion controls did they add anything in retrospect uh, do we want them to be a part of the picture moving forward um and i do want to note you know for the purposes of this conversation um we're discussing you know stuff like the Wii remote uh we're gonna talk about things like you know the six axis controller we are including microsoft's connect um so that is kind of i think the realm within which we're going to be discussing um obviously it's worth noting for those of you who are sort of coming here a little late um when, while we do think of motion controls specifically as relating to accelerometers and, uh, you know, the Wii mote on the Nintendo Wii, um, we will also go back a little further in terms of stuff like uh, the early 2000s light gun arcade shooter game, Police 
911, which had used um, motion sensors, uh, very similar to almost like what the Kinect would later use. And that was a Japanese arcade game made by Konami that, you know, for a lot of us that spent a lot of time in uh, particularly arcades that had a thriving import scene, uh, really got a, a taste of motion controls years before I think the general public did in, in terms of gaming applications. Of course, also, you'd have to look at stuff like uh, Sega arcade games like Hang On by Yu Suzuki. Uh, that, as you may recall, had, you know, the giant motorbike controller seat where you would lean your whole body into your turns to, you know, add sort of English to your turning. Um, counterbalancing that's the word for for when you're doing it on a bike i was thinking of like tennis adding english to your spin <laughs> right so with all of this having been said right um, i'd like to sort of talk about our first experiences with motion controls individually right and um, when i say individually i don't mean like us individually i just mean us as individuals so a lot of mine I kind of just briefly mentioned, but Slaggy, I would like to ask you, what were your first experiences with motion controls that you can recall? And what really, how did you feel about it? Like, what what did you think at the time? Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about actual hands-on, um, or are we talking about just like awareness? Because I mean, I remember- If you I never, have answers for both, I'd love to hear both. I mean, obviously, um, I remember the Power Glove, which, you know, I'm glad oh, I suppose I'd, after a fashion that would count. Um, you know, which um I'm glad that I never uh experienced that personally in hindsight because it allowed me to kind of have that fantasy of like, you know, be like, oh, you know, super cool. Same with the Sega activator, which apparently was not super great, but I just remember like Oh my gosh, I actually had a, a schoolmate who had one of those and I never got to see it, and so I only ever heard about it. But I I'm sorry, please continue. Was that the was was that the uh schoolmate you were telling me about whose parents would like never let him have any friends over yes literally <laughs> okay. he had and i'm not gonna get too into this because i'm also not trying to you know out anyone that i went to school with because somehow i have people in my life who still listen to this show that i've known since i was a child but yeah no i and, you know, friend... you can't, you can't, um you know what his what his parents did, yeah, know, that's, that's the thing. I'm him. not trying to shame nobody or make nobody feel bad, right? But no, um, I have a buddy who well, I say a buddy, but uh, someone I knew in school whom I am still somewhat associated with, whom had an arcade machine in their entryway and could have people over and like in their entryway to see it and occasionally play it, but no further. Period. And, and also that for me was like, and that for me was my like weird like rich people behavior friend. And I mean, I don't know that they were rich people. I don't I don't know. But like when I hear people talk about like weird rich people behavior, that's what I think of. And yes, they were the ones who had a Sega activator as well. <laughs> yeah, but as far as um, actual hands on, I would probably say like or like the most formative would be Samba de Amiga. I just remember it being like, oh, my gosh, it's so fun and like so natural. Um that is be. such a good pick. And, you know, when we do our collaborative show roles like this, when you had added that to the show role, I was screaming because I had been thinking of rhythm games also. And I had not even thought of Samba de Amigo, even though it's such an obvious one. Yeah, I mean, when you think about Samba de Amigo, it's relatively recent. I mean, you know, it's 20 years old now, but, you know, I think a little more recent than, you know, maybe some of the experiences that you had had. Well, I mean, I can understand why you would say that and why you would think that but for me while obviously i do go back to the earlier arcade 
experiences of Sega and their racing games and, you know, hang on and what have you. Um, I really, for me, when I think of motion control in the modern sense, I really think of a handful of like uh, Konami and Namco games, really. Uh, specifically, and what I was thinking of with rhythm games was Para Para Paradise. Yeah. Um, and as well as another game uh, that was brought here as Dance Maniacs. I don't re recall the Japanese name at the moment. Oh, yeah. Or, oh, actually, it might actually just be Dance Maniacs. And maybe the Japanese release was Dance or the English release was Dance Freaks or something. Um, and I say that because I actually just pulled up a photo of a machine from my own photo collection and it sure just appears to be that so yeah i remember dance maniacs dance maniacs yep yeah, dance maniacs was pretty fun actually right and so i think back to these kinds of experiences that used like um i almost say laser lights but i should say infrared or some other type of motion detecting beam or camera uh, to detect your movement in real time. And it was very, at the time uh, with Parapara and Dance Maniacs, it was very primitive. Like you would break basically infrared beams that you couldn't see, mm -hmm. like put your hand over the sensor, like over this sensor, but under this sensor in order to break the beam. And so it could register you as like dancing in that position, right? But um, if you're familiar with the kind of dance that Parapara dance is, which is, you know, almost a, uh, I think the way that we used to refer to it was Japanese line dancing, which is a very crude explanation, but gets you halfway there. Um, a lot of the moves, though, are very suited to that almost pop and lock robotic kind of style of dance. And so as a result, this kind of very rudimentary motion sensing for me led to the first real like a uh, dance simulator game that was more of almost like a dance emulator um because when i thought back to dance dance revolution and i want to be clear you know the time i'm talking about i had already been playing dance dance revolution for some number of years i had imported some home releases etc cetera, etc cetera. um but i had upon the first time i showed the game to my family and they were like you're it's cool but you're not dancing you're just like stepping on a mat i was like okay y'all some haters but okay uh, so when I started getting into Para Para, it was a little more like, okay, this is a little bit more like dancing in a way that I appreciate. Um, although I'll note, I also didn't show that to my family because if they were making fun of me for dancing on a mat, oh boy, the home release with its weird little laser light cones that you would set up. Oh no, that would have been a laugh and a half. Yeah. And I mean, I definitely, you know, not right away, but I mean, I remember some of our earliest times hanging out were, I mean, you really were the one who kind of introduced me to, um, a lot of those B-Money games, you know, you know, are, you know, I feel like, like, oh, that's so late. But I mean, really, again, you know, maybe it was. Uh... It seemed late at the time, but honestly, in perspective, those games were fairly new when I was taking you out to these to these wild Japanese arcades and showing you some of these games. Yeah. And I mean, Orange Lounge Radio was a B-Money uh, yeah. podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and I want to move on pretty quick but you know um it's also worth noting that Pimani ended up using very similar tech for uh police 911 and mocap boxing which were two arcade games which used very you similar mean Konami? <laughs> oh i'm sorry yeah konami um they used this very similar tech uh to make police 911 which is ostensibly a lethal enforcers sequel slash spin-off um that detects you um moving your body in real time similar to what namco did with time crisis only you're moving your whole body you're having to you know duck behind you know 
objects in game with your entire body to avoid being shot and hit um, raising a real gun like a light pistol to shoot i'm not raising a real gun but raising a light pistol like a real gun to shoot and aim and everything and so yeah, a, lot a lot of, of things that we kind of experiences that we now take for granted exactly, in motion sensing that. games yeah exactly like the you go to a round here. one and you know you see like these exactly yeah you and to me, that those types of experiences were born with with well, I don't want to say those types of experiences were born, but really solidified and codified as with motion controls in these early Konami arcade releases. Um, and then Namco I mean, Bandai had yeah. one that I wanted to shout out too. Uh, this was called Mazan Flash of the Blade, and this one was notable to me because it used that very same kind of tech, but with like a almost like a Vulcan, like a Japanese practice sword. I think I've uh, seen you play that like once. Well, it used to be a big deal anytime me and my old crew of friends would go to like a Dave and Buster's type place that would have one of these machines, we would mob it because it was just such a cool machine. And, and back when you could find it, it was just an experience unlike anything you could find anywhere until eventually the Wii released. But for a long time, it was like that cool samurai game where you go in and fight zombies with a sword and there was nothing else like it. It was the type of game that didn't meaningfully exist before motion controls. And I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like I either I maybe saw you play it once or something similar that had evolved from, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, and so it was probably that game. You know, it used to be fairly common. And like I said, anytime I used to see it, I used to call it out and go play it. So I've taken you to enough arcades. You probably saw it. <laughs> um, with all that having been said, though, and sort of moving on to the from the introduction of the conversation, I'd like to, I guess, discuss sort of some more well-known games with motion control. Yeah, because the funny thing is that, like, thinking about that, a lot of those that we were talking about were pretty niche and, you know, largely arcade-based. So, I mean, well, yeah, and that is, you know, it kind of owes to our histories as older gamers and my history, particularly as an arcade gamer growing up um, predominantly. But for many gamers, especially for many of our listeners, I suspect motion controls will have really become popularized in the era of the Wii, which is where right. I think we're going. So and especially to a wide, 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 wide market, because, I mean, you think of how well the Wii sold, especially with like Wii Sports. I mean. And I mean, there you go. Wii Sports, you know, was a whole thing. Yeah, honestly. I mean, I mean we Wii would... Sports, you think about it. It changed... I don't want to say it changed the world, but it definitely got people buying video games who had not considered buying games possibly ever before. Um, I know, you know, obviously we had a lot of news stories in the early days of this show about, you know, old folks' homes and... Um, various medical facilities using Wii Sports for all manner of rehabilitation, both physical and mental. Mm -hmm. And it really, you think about that alone, to me, really is kind of a huge deal. But you also look at all of the soccer moms and dads who bought Wiis for, you know, Wii Tennis Night and Wii Bowling Night and what have you. Right. And that was a, a real thing in not even just American culture, but kind of worldwide. Um, so uh, please, by all means, I'd like to hear um, about these bigger titles uh, or these more well-known titles or. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because you mentioned uh, the idea of uh, for like rehabilitation. Uh, I only just recently found out that um, like we had always kind of heard the story go around that that's the reason why Just Dance continues to get Wii releases. But apparently um, Ubisoft told Polygon that um 
a lot of their uh, the just ba- the just dance fan base is uh, children and families who continue to play on their Wii. So like those games sell enough on Wii. So it's uh, not as um, you know heartwarming as we thought that oh you know they do it to help uh, in and then don't get me wrong they do use them in hospitals and patient rehabilitation uh, but that's not the reason why. So I just thought that was an interesting aside. Uh, but I mean for me like you know Wii Sports was great. Um, you know, maybe at this point we consider it really primitive, but I thought that, you know, it controlled pretty well. Um, I thought, I think it was a lot of fun. And, um, you know, I think it definitely helped propel the sales for sure. But for me, um, what really was uh, kind of the more standout for we was Twilight Princess. And for me, what's interesting is that Skyward Sword is, you know, supposed to have the more sophisticated controls, but I thought that Twilight Princess felt better to play and then you know this is coming from twilight princess being a game that you know was also released on the gamecube um so you know where the um control scheme the i mean on the on the wii you had to play it with swinging right yeah but i mean you know so i say optional in the sense of uh you know that you could get the gamecube release right but uh i thought that twilight princess was actually a lot of fun to play with uh with the wii remote um and i think that you know skyward sword maybe they tried to they made motion controls too much the center of the um too much of the focus or something but it never really clicked for me um and you know i've talked about this on the show before um i definitely have a lot of fond memories of no more heroes one and two um obviously the switch releases uh because the it was a ps3 and 360 did 360 did as well but um for no more heroes two um but yeah obviously they are did I guess the PS3 one did have PlayStation Move, right? But uh, I feel like there was also a 360 release. So, um, so for Heroes Paradise in Japan, there was... Heroes Paradise. Okay, yeah. There was a Japanese 360 release of Heroes Paradise, but the uh, North American release of Heroes Paradise was exclusive to the PS3. It okay. did have um motion controls by the playstation move but it's also worth noting that it is also a censored version of the song or i'm sorry a censored version of the game and doesn't have the song heavenly star in it at all mm. so yes, for I mean, me uh, yeah great even though it i mean great. uh i just remember like you know uh being travis touchdown in uh shaking the beam katana up and down in a sexually seductive way, you know, to recharge. It's just, I mean, for me, like it just very, I like, it was very iconic part of the, um, you know, the gameplay. And I know now we've had, um, what was it? Desperate struggle. Was that the one that came out? Yeah. Was that was that, the second that, game. That was the second one. What was the one that came out where, um, with the indie games, Travis strikes again, Travis strikes again. And so, uh, that didn't have motion, right? I don't, if it had any, it would have had to have been optional because I don't recall it at all. Yeah, and I never got around to that, but uh, I'm hoping that No More Heroes 3 will have it at least as an option because, I mean, for me, that's one of the highlights. Another one that's a little, um, maybe a little more niche, but I mean, I think it did, you know, still was pretty acclaimed and not as waggly as we might think is uh, Flower for the PS3. You can also get it on PS4 as well um, with the six axis. I just thought it was a very elegant, you know, way of you know implementing that you can kind of like you know you controlled the flower petals and you know i just i love those that game company games and uh i actually thought that you know the way that flower implemented its motion controls was very uh for me it was just really intuitive and just kind of you know yeah very organic to the experience and i mean those um 
especially flower almost felt more like an art installation to me um journey i guess kind of had a little more of like you know a story and i mean it so did flower flower has a story but um yeah so i mean flower is one that stands out to me excellent uh, you know, and I want to say, you know, something that I noted while I was thinking about what you were saying is uh, particularly with regard to Twilight Princess and Skylight's Skyward Sword, Skylight Sword, LOL. It's like a whole Bob the Builder spinoff. Um, so in Skyward, Skyward Sword, though, right, it's like they took the motion controls and tried to make them a focal point of the game design as opposed to Twilight Princess, where they had been an implementation um, to improve game controls in the limited first person view but otherwise as a simple replacement for button presses and i think it's just kind of shows that um not every game necessarily lends itself to the same level of motion control design if that makes sense because yeah, definitely the sort of hybrid approach for me of twilight princess where you had the the aiming handled via your motion but did still kind of have an electric binary on off attack rather than all of the necessarily overly complex and not necessarily functional directional slash stuff um or shield it, it actually worked better well yeah exactly i feel like the more complex and the more moving parts you added to it um sort of the more error be that user error or not sort of came to the front and it's almost like uh you know when you tell someone like edit like learn to edit or like keep it simple stupid it's like that same energy could have gone to um the zelda design team yeah i mean with I regard like to reason... the specific over reliance on motion again i think motion mm -hmm. is fantastic as i'm going to be overall making a very strong argument for mo motion controls in case that's not clear here uh, but within the specific context of twilight princess and skyward skyward sword i think skyward sword showed that that kind of game design for a longer bigger game like that is less compelling and i think that that's going to probably keep skyward sword from ever really getting re-released as much as people would like to see it on switch um they would have to really rebuild the game i think because so much of it seemed to focus on that um they'd have to like really overhaul it i would think and um you know you you look at um breath of the wild you know as the you know not follow up, but you know the the next entry in the mainline Zelda series, where uh, Breath of the Wild uses some of the accelerometer stuff for you know like um, aiming, but you know overall sticks to a more traditional um, control scheme. And I think that's you know interesting just within the Zelda franchise to look at that evolution of motion controls. Absolutely. Um, in the interest of time. I am going to briefly gloss over a subtopic. Um, you know, there is kind of a whole ass sub-discussion sub really to be had about well-known games with sort of optional motion control modes um, that were like re-released or patched back in at a later time. Um, you know, these, some examples of these, of course, are, are Splatoon. Uh, you have Ugh, Doom, yeah. um, Pikmin, new play control re-releases, and Pikmin 3. Well, you can think Mario Kart noting, Wii, you know. Well, yeah, absolutely. I think that's... I mean, using tilt controls. Right? Uh, but the wild thing about that is, and I know that you are not a fan of the Splatoon motion controls, and I personally am not either, but a lot of people online insist that the hybrid control scheme of using the uh, LX accelerometer to aim and the analog stick controls to move are actually like the fastest and most precise controls 
Um, while that hasn't been my experience, and I've heard that said also for Doom, um, I can say that my experiences with Pikmin, I did feel like, wow, this controls so much better with a Wii remote playing it almost as if it was like a mouse control style as opposed to uh, an analog stick button combo. Yeah. So, so I do see how for other people, um, it might also be like a, mo a mouse and keyboard situation with Splatoon and Doom. Splatoon. Uh, it's just that I'm not there and maybe I would need to learn more. Um, what did you have any experience? No, I was just or, say the, Pikmin, uh, the Pikmin, I think uh, I do have a I, I try to think if it was Pikmin three, probably would be the one that I played. But yeah, excellent. And, you know, um, obviously it's it's a whole thing to be discussed. But overall, for me, um, you know, those were kind of the games that the tacked on quote unquote tacked on motion controls didn't work but there's also a whole conversation to be had or i'm sorry those were sort of the games in which they generally are considered to have worked but there's also a sort of companion piece um of games that had tacked on motion controls that are generally regarded as having not worked and uh for me my personal opinions were mario galaxy waggling to spin i actually like country returns <laughs> waggling to roll and i mean I to be fair why well that's why i think that your perspective is interesting because to me i have this perspective of like I typically want my platforming actions to be tied to a controller button so that I have a more precise binary um, control over them, you know, off on. Yeah, yes, and no. to be fair, this has been 10 years. So, I mean, I remember it yeah. feeling fine, but, you know. Yeah, and that, that is totally fair, you know. Um, and, you know, if you did like it, it's okay that you liked it and I didn't. I'm just noting that for me, um, I don't think that either one of those games benefited from motion controls, even though I think motion controls can tremendously benefit a game. Alternatively, you know, um, when we talk about motion control flops or games that appear to have flopped because of motion controls, I think it goes without saying, you know, Lair on PS4 is the easy mark. But, you know, for me, I would even include something like Dragon Quest Swords, which when I think back to the game we got, like it was cute, like it was a cute intro to Dragon Quest style game. Um, it was fun, it had some cute immersion, but in retrospect, could have and should have been so much more. Um, and then, you know, obviously, I don't think I even need to mention Wii Music, but oh. I think you would like to. Oh, biggest letdown. Right. The actual biggest letdown. And that was like a $50 game, right? It was. And you know, the thing is, I defended it at the time. Um, And I don't know that I would anymore. I defended it at the time because I used a gaming setup that was so jank that Wii Music still played okay on it. But like, basically, if you were playing on any kind of HD set, it felt like it was just a game of random things happening when waggle. It was so poorly designed. It was just a fundamentally poorly designed game. I don't understand how it got released in retrospect. Like, again, playing it on my old SD TV with regular TV speakers, no external sound processing or anything. There's a there was kind of an, an OK response time in terms of when I would move my controller and it would make a sound. And I felt like I could reasonably have fun doing musical games and things with it. But any time I would spend at my uh, partner of the times place, I would play it over there. And oh, my God, it was a shit show. And he would be like, this is what you wanted to show me. And it legit took me a long time to figure out why it was such a different experience at my place and his, because uh, it was, it was, oh, mm -hmm. oh, you, you were there. You remember, I just, I have to explain it to people who didn't see this because it was pretty wild. Um, yeah, I think like the only time I ever had fun was 
like playing it on your old CRT TV. Yeah, right. I swear, for whatever reason, it it felt better. I I swear, still I still have great. that CRT TV great. in my garage. It's moved with me. Maybe I need to hook it up and try to figure out. But yeah, that's the thing. Even then, it still wasn't great. Like when right. I think back to other music game experiences we could have now, that's the literal like bottom of the shit heap. I mean, because this was after Rock Band had come out. I mean, obviously Guitar Hero had been out as well, but this isn't music gaming. It's the it's the it wasn't the fact that it was just was not only was a bad music game, just the motion controls did really not just kind of like just like shaking it. Well, yeah, so they didn't really use the motion controls for anything particularly interesting. It was sort of a binary off on no kind of analog depth or anything. And the really sort of unfortunate part is that that paired with the MIDI sounds that it made meant that um, without good user feedback, what was happening on screen just felt completely disconnected from what you were doing. Yeah. Um, but I, I do want to quickly wrap this conversation up because obviously we have gone longer than intended. Uh, we're cutting things short here. Um, but I did also want to note, you know, there's also a handful of games almost motion controls as a genre perhaps um that i wanted to discuss you know games that i kind of felt wouldn't work any other way and the big one for me was boom blocks it's a uh switch game or switch game it's an old wii game it was published by ea and it used the wii motion controls to simulate basically like an enormous jenga tower with you know mm -hmm. physics simulation that you used the motion controls to throw blocks or or balls or bombs or what have you there were different game modes at yeah. the powers to destroy them with different goals in mind and it was just a really fantastic party game that for me could like really entertain a whole room of people easily and and with very little setup or explanation because it was so intuitive so and it just, just made the argument to me for motion controls in general i mean i could have boom blocks parties today if there was an hd version i'm sure yeah uh if, if you're out there i mean obviously steven spielberg's out there but steven spielberg if you're listening yeah right like joy con's got motion controls i'm sure you can for it. switch uh, we also had, of course, you know, Surgeon Simulator, which is a really fantastic game where it kind of takes like a co-op type approach, but to like surge surgery as a job. So like imagine playing Operation, but you have yeah. very poor control of your hands. It's kind of like that. It's fantastic. And um, I also wanted to give out a special shout out to Dance, Dance Central. Um, oh, you know, Connect. <laughs> This was, of course, the Harmonix Connect dancing game. There's also a version available um, for several of the VR platforms, including the Oculus Quest. Um, obviously, you know, Harmonix made it. It's kind of an evolution of a lot of the ideas from those earlier Konami dancing games, uh, the Dance Maniacs and Para Para Paradise. It uses the motion controls to detect how you're dancing in real time and basically give you feedback on how to move your body in real time to dance correctly. Uh, you know, I had been talking earlier about how when I first showed my family Dance Dance Revolution and their response had been like, that's not dancing. Um, I actually did show them uh, the song Maneater on Dance Central on Connect. Oh, I love that one. It so had such groove. a good routine because that was the one where I was like, no, this routine is like if you had a whole line of people doing this ass dance, they would look like they were in a music video. And so, yeah, I mean, they were they and they were they were a lot more into that. So um, at the end of this 
discussion, I guess, I'd like to open up the floor to everyone out there in listener radio, radio, internet radio land. Oh my gosh, it's been so long. I forgot how to say internet radio land. Um, all of those of you out in internet radio land, if you'd like, please write in. I would love to hear from you your favorite or least favorite motion control games or experiences. We'd be happy to read your responses on the air next time. And uh, I'd love to include your thoughts in this conversation. Uh, so to wrap up, um, I think I would probably sum up our conversation on motion controls that we are generally fans where they're appropriate and where they have strong implementation Yeah, when it's done well yeah that makes sense i mean but so you I just really got to think that. there was like that era of those third-party wii games that you know like we wouldn't have even wanted to touch because we knew that they were going to be bad <laughs> but uh you know right well and uh I guess for me, the big thing I want to say is that it, it really bums me out that, in my opinion, due to the uh, gaming fan base having such a visceral negative reaction to motion controls, I feel like uh, platform de developers and designers have um, sort of moved away from including them in future consoles, particularly yeah. the Microsoft dumped Connect. And uh, that actually, to me, is a major bummer because as we've kind of talked here, I actually feel like there are whole ass genres of games that we wouldn't have if not for the development and maturation of motion controls. So um, I see this as a bummer that kind of stifles future creativity. Um, moving forward, I really, really, really wish Microsoft would add gyros to a freaking Xbox controller or, you know, accelerometers, what have you. Seems kind of but like... What, what, what do you I'm surprised, yeah, I'm surprised that they haven't. Um, I mean, I, I think it's been long enough since, you know, remember um, that Asus EEE -E -E was going to be um, like they had they came out with the EPC or whatever, but uh, they were uh, Asus, the uh, computer company, was going to be doing a basically a Wiimote to go with their EEE -E 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 PC, um, and that never went off the ground. And so I think, you know, it's we're far enough removed now from the Wii that I think that it's worthwhile for developers to take another look and see, you know, for example, like Xbox, why not have a gyroscope, you know? Yeah, I mean, honestly, at this point, it's for me at least really like I understand the idea that adding a gyroscope at this point might not make sense in the eyes of some because the fear at least would be that you wouldn't want to design for it because not everybody has it but um if you could and obviously there, this, there's a lot of ifs here but if you could get a scenario where this is an option that could be supported on the platform and the work is already mostly being done on other platforms uh nintendo sony um you know pc perhaps even to some degree, since we now have so many PC devices that have motion control implementations, uh, including due to the preponderance now of, P of VR devices. Um, you know, if we could create this situation, though, where um, developers and third-party studios could just support that feature in games where they're already supporting the platform on other, or the feature on other platforms, that alone would be a huge step in the right direction, in my opinion. Yeah. So I really, I hope that we see the industry trend back toward um, motion controls. I think that they are just such a fantastic option from the perspective of accessibility, um, from the terms of giving newer gamers a more intuitive way to enter. I just, overall, I just, I think that motion controls are such a good thing when used properly. And I really hope moving forward that they can thrive and continue. 
yeah, and you know, between that and VR, now we kind of have VR getting to be in a better spot. So yeah, it's knows? wild to think. You know, I have a, a good VR wireless headset in my other room at you know, Oculus Quest, and it's wild to me to think about that and what that tech is and what it's capable of. Because even though it's quote unquote just the Quest, um, in my opinion, it works phenomenally well, and I can use it in my living room and literally forget I'm in my living room, which is what I always wanted out of VR. So, and don't we I, need that in sure it's here? Don't we yeah, need right? that in this world sometimes? For real. Um, so with all of this having been said, it's time to start winding down by talking about what's up. I'm not going to play the sound clip because I'm trying to save time. I have been playing and enjoying the following games Final Fantasy VII Remake, Animal Crossing, Saints Row 4. Divinity 2 Original Sin, and Rygar on the NES. I'm not going to talk about Animal Crossing or Final Fantasy 7R since we have episodes on them both coming up. Uh, Saints Row 4 was my first time really properly finally doing a good deep dive on it. I loved it. It I thought it was hella fun, hella funny. Um, the addition of superpowers to the Saints Row the Third mix, which as I understand the DLC toward the end of Saints Row the Third had superpowers, but my experience with the game, I never saw them. Um, it just made me excited to play Saints Row again. And uh, I end up having a really good time with it. Um, Divinity 2 Original Sin, I'm still pretty early in, so I won't say much about it, but it's pretty hard. I'm kind of like, fighting and clawing tooth and nail for any and any prog any and every progress i can make um but i guess that's also been really rewarding so that's something to be said and then for rygar and yes right this was like my favorite game in the world when i was like seven um replaying it it is just this obtuse mess of incredibly good ideas and if not for the fact that i was obsessed with it as a child i would hate it and be so mad it was on the nintendo online app on switch so if you're out there and you've played it and you think it's garbage you're not wrong but also there's some cool stuff there it's like the, probably the way i feel about barbie for the nes it probably is and what about you what have you been playing uh yeah so i've uh gotten back into final fantasy 14 uh caught up on the patch content and stuff um working on leveling some other jobs so it's been good to have that um you know have an mmo especially with uh so much time on my hands uh animal crossing you know we're going to talk about in an upcoming episode so i'm not going to say anything about that but i did want to quickly talk about pokemon sword i had started a pokemon sword uh playthrough um you know maybe over the holidays at the end of the year because you know um i played shield and you know kind of powered through that and then i had started a sword playthrough because you know i I love to double up on Pokemon games because uh, I'm that type of trash. Um, never got too far. And so what I decided to do is take the Pokies that I had on the sword, uh, save, brought them over to Pokemon Homes because, you know, that way I could at least, you know, keep them. And then uh, did, deleted my save data for sword so that I could use the um mystery gift pokies that we talked about so oh excellent um, score bunny in particular has a uh, ability that makes when you use a move it changes your type to that so like if, when he uses um a double kick for example it changes him to a fighting type and not only can that help in you know with resisting attacks like like he won't there was a time where um in a gym battle someone used 
uh, earthquake or whatever, or ground type move. And because I had uh, used double kick before and it, you know, made that and made him fighting type, he did not take super effective damage. On the flip side, it also means that any move you use is going to get the same type attack bonus. So, uh, score nice. bonus. You know, I love that same type attack bonus. Indeed. Um, so I think Score Bunny's kind of been my VIP. I also got a what's the little guy? Uh, Rotom. Rotom. Thank you. A Rotom for doing the GTS, which the GTS implementation is really weird in Pokemon Home, and everyone just wants like um, Ultra Beasts, basically. So I'm like, ah, oh, people are still playing the CDS, but anyway, yeah. So I'm having a lot of fun. I'm uh, kind of uh, that was the impetus, but uh, was these. Uh, pokies on the mystery gift so i use all three of them on my team i'm uh you know uh just at the championships so you know um looking forward to the isle of armor dlc that is coming on the 17th and that's it for me so um we're gonna wrap this up here i would like to ask for your feedback we love your subscriptions ratings reviews love we them. Like your, your facebook likes and we like them. love twitter love especially it. Because they are uh, starting to hold um, people accountable, kind of. We love to see it. Uh, you can also email us at mailbuoy at gamebuoy.org. Mailbuoy at gamebuoy.org. And our home base is gamebuoy.org. Gamebuoy.org. Spike, what are some shout outs that you have for us? I would like to point people in the direction of Orange Lounge Radio, where every gamer has a voice and from whom we steal so many of our cues, as well as Uppercut. Uppercut is a games and media site devoted to punching up through high quality content. Yourself, Slaggy, give me some shout outs. I like to highlight the Magical Boys podcast, where you can join DJ and Ribbon as they break down the latest and greatest in video games, anime, manga, and everything else in between from a queer perspective. I especially want to, you know, highlight as many QPOC, queer people of color voices, uh, during this time. So, if you have a voice to amplify, please let me know. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, with all of that having been said, uh, oh, I think there was another shout out here you'd like to do. Oh, yeah. Zelda reorchestrated. And remember them? Indeed. Let's pour out a 40 into the fairy fountain and we will be back. I remember them, but um, you can still go to ZREO Music and they still have all their stuff out. They're just not doing any more. Um, you know, they're not doing new stuff moving I forward. I see. Though. Indeed. Excellent. We do. We love them. We pour out a 40 into the fairy fountain each and every time we kind of like, you. you know, Zelda is orchestrated now, so they've kind of fulfilled their purpose. Exactly, right? Uh, so next week, we intend on discussing either Animal Crossing or some uh, violent video games. Uh, then we will be talking about the other game that we haven't talked about yet, or I should say the other discussion we haven't had yet. And finally, on the 30th, we are planning on discussing uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake. So for those of you who are here at the playing along at the home show, uh, you should, of course, please, please, please feel free to let us know your thoughts on Animal Crossing over the next week or two so we can determine if we're talking about that or not. And before the 30th, get in your thoughts on Final Fantasy VII Remake. Because I have who would, finished it. Slagkick hasn't. So I just have to say, who would have thought that we would live in a world uh, where we would say we're talking about the remake of Final Fantasy VII? Right? In the it past is, tense. Like, it's out. We've played it. Many of us have beaten it and are now waiting for the next thing. It's wild to think. Well, yeah. Until then, keep, keep gaming. gaming. Yeah. 
keep thinking keep thinking and see you space cowboy space cowboy Some people call me Maurice because I speak of the pompadous of love. I, was always yeah, I love doing, I actually love the way that the was on um, Guitar Hero version of it. Cause yeah, I think that was one that was on both, because like you did, like that was the one with the slide bar. So you went like, yes, you're absolutely right. That was the one time where I thought that Guitar Hero nailed it more than Rock Band. Like that one song. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Uh, people like that make me want to eat a shit sandwich. I actually think that this is one of our longer show roles that we've done in recent times, but I'd still like to come in under the two hour mark. <laughs> <laughs>